Welcome to Living Proof, the podcast series of the University at Buffalo School of Social Work at www.socialwork.buffalo.edu. We're glad you could join us today. The series Living Proof examines social work research and practice that makes a difference in people's lives. The University at Buffalo School of Social Work is making a difference every day. Through the generation and transmission of knowledge, promotion of social justice, and service to humanity. We offer MSW and PhD programs, continuing education programs and credits, online courses, licensure exam preparation, professional seminars and certificates, and much, much more. To learn more about the UB School of Social Work, please visit www.socialwork.buffalo.edu. I'm your host, Ajuma Robinson. Dr. Jean Kuttner is a tenured professor of medicine at the University of Colorado Denver School of Medicine, where she's the head of the Division of General Internal Medicine. Board certified in internal medicine, geriatrics, and hospice and palliative medicine, Dr. Kuttner is active in palliative and hospice care research, education, and clinical care, both locally and nationally. One of Dr. Kuttner's major contributions to the field is the development of the Population-Based Palliative Care Research Network, a national network of organizations providing palliative care that facilitates the conduct of high-quality, clinically relevant end-of-life research in settings where palliative care is provided. Dr. Deborah Waldruff, Associate Professor at the University at Buffalo School of Social Work and Hartford Scholar spoke with Dr. Kuttner about the history and role of evidence-based practice in hospice care, changes in hospice care, and barriers and facilitators to building an evidence base. I'm Deborah Waldrop and I'm here today with Dr. Jean Kuttner, who's a professor of medicine in the Department of Medicine at the University of Colorado. She's a board-certified internal medicine, geriatrics, and hospice and palliative medicine. Welcome, Dr. Kuttner, and thank you very much for your willingness to share your expertise on the evolution of evidence-based care in hospice. My pleasure. Happy to be here. Can you give us a history of the role of evidence in hospice care? Certainly. Well, hospice really began as a response to problems that uh, primarily the nursing community saw in care for persons at the end of life. And over the years, as medicine has advanced and hospice care has advanced and they've been starting to take care of sicker patients, hospice really started as primarily based on experience. There was not a lot of evidence to guide what people were doing. And so we really provided care based on uh, what we had learned from providing care for these patients without a lot of, of real evidence to guide that. Can you talk a little bit about what that looked like, what kind of care there was at that time? Well, primarily when hospice first started, it was primarily uh, cancer patients and primarily uh, pain management. And over time, we've started to take care of a more complex patient population, whereas it used to be most patients in hospice had cancer. Now only about 40% or so of patients have cancer, so the other 60% have all kinds of other chronic medical illnesses. And we've really had to try to figure out how to best care for these patients and what therapies they need and complex symptoms as well as complex medical management have been required. 
So hospice care has been changing along with medical care over the years. Can you give us an idea of where we are now in the use of evidence in hospice care and what's been driving those changes? I think there's been a few things. I think one has been the increased complexity of the patients. I think two has been the development of a specialty in the field. There's now a uh, board certified uh, specialty in hospice and palliative medicine. And in order to have a a board certified specialty, you have to have an evidence base in the field in order to demonstrate that you actually need to have a board certified specialty. There's also certification for um, social workers in hospice and palliative medicine as well as certification for nurses and there either is or is developing a certification for chaplains as well at least in the US and so to drive those certifications we need to have a demonstrated body of knowledge is one so we've had to say yes here is a specified body of knowledge for the field uh, two is there's also as there's been in other aspects of healthcare in the US a uh, increase in accountability and having to demonstrate both the value and the quality of what we do, and so there's been an increasing interest in being able to demonstrate that hospice care, while we have always felt that it's been good, we haven't had the data to be able to show other people, or especially other agencies and funders, that it's been good. And then I think the other piece of it is as the research community has gotten more interested in this field, that we're getting more evidence. So now we have to figure out how do we get that evidence that's out there? How do we actually get it out into practice? So it's been a combination of a number of factors that has really increased the awareness of and need for both generating evidence in the field that uh, helps inform our patient care as well as then figuring out how do you get that evidence that's been generated, how do you get it out to the field in practice? Could you talk a little bit about the barriers to evidence-based practice in hospice? Well, there there are a number of barriers to evidence-based practice. Uh, one is the one I mentioned that we actually haven't had a lot of evidence. So we still tend to practice based on experience because uh, we are only now beginning to build the evidence in our field. So that if you, for example, go and do a literature search where you would try and, you know, be, you know, follow perfect evidence-based practice rules where you're trying to search on a study that's used your population exactly with the types of therapies you're interested in, often we get frustrated, honestly. You know, you try try and uh, do this evidence-based search and you find that whatever it is you're interested in, a particular pain medication, a bowel regimen, whatever, it actually hasn't been tried in our population. So sometimes people get frustrated. They say, well, I tried, I couldn't find the evidence, but the evidence is growing. Um, Two is actually generating evidence in the field. It's a tough patient population to study. People are sick. Uh, They often die relatively uh, quickly. They may or may not be able to provide their own um, data because they may be too sick to or too cognitively impaired to provide data. And then um, it's also been a hard population to access for research because there's been a fair amount of gatekeeping and that people have been very worried uh, about the vulnerability of the population. Uh, On that side, there have been a number of studies now um, talking to patients and family caregivers and that they really Uh, want to contribute. They want to leave a legacy. So there actually is a lot of interest among the patient population and their family caregivers about participating in various different types of research. Uh, So one of the things that we've been advocating is you actually have to ask. You can't just assume that patients and families 
um, don't want to participate in research. And some of the hospices that we work with actually ask it at the time of admission of if, if our hospice is participating in various types of studies, uh, would you be interested in being contacted? And that can really help um, enrollment. So that those are some of the aspects of actually conducting the research in the population. And then I think from uh, the perspective of it's very different cultures. You know, if you realize that hospice grew out of a culture, uh, very high touch, low tech, uh, caring sort of population, and a very um, sort of experience focused, process focused, that the idea of bringing in what may be seen as outside expertise um, can uh, seem like a challenge and that um, you sometimes feel that uh, maybe your own practices are being challenges. You, you may feel like you've been doing it well and then suddenly there seems to be somebody telling you that maybe there's a better way of doing that. And that, you know, that's hard for caring people who think that they're doing um, the best practices that they can do. Um, so there's a number of um, cultural berries there of, of thinking about hospice as something that should be evidence-based. It's, it's, it, it should be integrated into something that's very caring, and there, I think there are ways that we can get there, but um, in, in just even thinking about how can data and should data and information um, be engaged in a day-to-day -day, uh, way in what we do in clinical care, um, one of the things that we've been working with with one of our local hospices is looking at ways of how can we build what we've been calling a culture of inquiry is how can we engage staff from the highest levels the ceo to the frontline staff at all levels to, to think about on a daily basis why is it that i do what i do the way i do and um, how can i think of ways to make it better or how what might what information might i be able to um, do to make it better to um, get people to just start thinking about that maybe there's maybe data can be helpful rather than the scary thing. Uh, I think the other thing uh, barrier is that uh, hospices have had to report a fair amount of data for various benchmarking and um, national sort of things, but those data haven't really tied in closely with clinical care. So I think people have seen anything to do with data as um, being extra work rather than affecting their day-to-day -day care. Um, along those lines, um, in terms of barriers, is if, if the people who are providing the care don't see how something is relevant to their day-to-day -day work, how is, what, how is this evidence or participating in this research study going to actually improve my job, improve what I do for my patients, improve the care for these patients and families? Uh, it just looks like extra work. So why would they? Why would they want to? I mean, you you gotta understand. I mean, people understand that you know everybody's already busy, and if there isn't a clear tie between either participating in um, generating new knowledge or changing the way I'm doing something because some study in some journal somewhere um, tells me that's how I should do it, people aren't gonna aren't gonna change their practice, and it's hard to change the way you've been doing things for years. Absolutely. So there are a lot of challenges along the along the road to creating an evidence base in hospice. Thanks for sharing all that. There must be some facilitators. There must be some things that really help facilitate evidence-based uh, practice in hospice. And can you share with us what some of those are? And I, I think we, we are learning about what the facilitators can be. I think the more that we have um, measures of what we do that are consistent across 
hospices so that we can compare, we can learn from each other um, about um, what works in one place and what doesn't. Um, there's been some talk about um, being able to compare the family evaluation of hospice care um, measures across hospices as a way of identifying best practices. Why is it that looking at variation, why is it that one hospice seems to be scoring well on a measure and another one's not? What can we learn from each other? And so doing something that like that will require people willingness to compare their data and then willingness to um, share best practices as well. But I think we can learn a lot from each other. I think linking in um, either the knowledge generation, so participating in studies, uh, or getting that evidence into practice with day-to-day -day practice. I think instead of, like I said, adding extra work, a lot of hospices are going to electronic records right now. So if we're going to an electronic record like has been done in other settings, can we build in for hospice point-of-care suggestions that um, automatically tell people, hey, you know, this patient is on a simple one. This patient's on an opioid. Are you sure they're, you know, are you sure that they're on a, a good bowel regimen? Um, that are um, things that build in tracking, like this patient's pain level is a seven today. Their goal level was described as a three. Um, here's some suggestions to, to get it. So it's hard to remember all the new evidence and it's hard to get it out there. Um, so how can we build it into people's day-to-day -day processes of care? I think that's, we need to be creative about how we do that and how we engage people. And I think it has to be at all levels of the organization. It can't just be the CEO saying, we're going to do this. Um, it has to be an engagement across the levels of organization as we learn uh, better ways for engaging people in that process. How can hospices and universities work together to advance evidence-based practice for people who are at the end of life? I think there's a number of ways that, that hospices and universities can work together. Uh, and, and first is even to accept that idea that it's possible, because it's something that I think has had a rocky uh, past. Um, and uh, speaking as somebody who's been conducting hospice-based re research for the last I don't know, 15 years or so. I think um, I've done it better and worse over time. But what's got me really excited now is the idea of academic settings and hospices truly working together as partners. And, and, and I want to emphasize the word partners because the hospices bring the expertise of what is the day-to-day -day practice like of providing care to this population, what, you know, what are the challenges that they're dealing with in terms of staffing reimbursement, what are the key important issues, what's the culture like, and the academic side can bring some of the, the research or um, uh, implementation expertise, some of the translational research expertise that um, is, is growing um, in its knowledge as well. And I think it's learning to understand each other's cultures, learning to uh, figure out uh, how the two sets of expertise um, can be complementary, but it truly needs to be a partnership. And I can just give uh, an example of working with one of our um, local partners, the Denver Hospice in, in Denver, 
where we meet monthly for two hours every month and we have representation from our university research team and from hospice, um, from across administration and frontline staff. And we've been trying to figure out how to do projects together, how to answer questions that are um, of key importance to the hospice at that point in time so that we can apply our research expertise to topics that are of urgent interest uh, for the hospice and learning how to do that together to be able to do both ends of the spectrum again to be able to say where are the where are the cases where we need evidence and how can we work together to conduct studies that are well-designed, ethical, respectful of patients, but generate the evidence that we need. But then how can we also, in a um, regular and rigorous way, capture the evidence that's out there that is relevant to our populations and figure out now how do we disseminate that through the organization and get it implemented into practice? What organizational changes do we need to do that? How do we make people accountable for that? Um, so it's truly a partnership. And then how do we measure that it made a difference in the first place since the whole reason we do any of this is to provide better care to our patients and families. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us today and for all the work that you do to improve the care for people who are dying. We really appreciate your contribution. Thank I'm you. Happy to. Thank you. You've been listening to Dr. Jean Kuttner discuss the evolution of evidence-based practice in hospice care. Thanks for listening. And join us again next time for more lectures and conversations on social work practice and research. Hi, I'm Nancy Smith, Professor and Dean at the University at Buffalo School of Social Work. Thanks for listening to our podcast. For more information about who we are, our history, our programs, and what we do, we invite you to visit our website at www.socialwork.buffalo.edu. At UB, we are living proof that social work makes a difference in people's lives.